Our text today is Genesis 1, verse 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So that's our text today. And I want to thank you for being here. Thank you for taking time out of your week to think some big thoughts about God. You maybe you didn't know we were going to talk about the the Genesis, this poetry that talks about the creation of the universe. But I want to invite you to hang in here today and let's think some big thoughts about God. Uh, We've been unpacking this language in Jeremiah 6.16 over the past few weeks. And if you've missed any, any recent sermons, I encourage you to go back on YouTube and watch them or download them on podcasts so you can catch up. Uh, but Jeremiah 6.16 says, This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. I'm fascinated with this language and really think we're at the same kind of moment in history where we can choose which path we're on. And God's saying, choose my ways. Keep following me. Are you going to trust me and follow me? Because this ancient path, we're going to define it. I'd say it's, it, this is language we're using that describes how we move around and act in the world. What is the ancient path? It's a tested and trustworthy way of being in the world. And it's this also this paradox. Because on one hand, following God means that we embrace a life of challenge and difficulty. It's not easy. Jesus talked about the narrow way. But on the other hand, it's a a way of being in the world that's true and brings you to a a deep and soul-level rest. It's a way of of following Jesus that brings about flourishing in your life. So great, oh, flourishing, soul level rest. I could use some rest. Where do we start? And that's what this week is about. Where do we start on this ancient path? Someone said a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. And I love that because I'm the kind of person that's like, all right, let's take the step. Here we go. Kind of an impulsive journey taker. And I'm getting a little bit better in my old age, but uh, older age. Um, but I'm learned, I've learned like before you go on a journey, like it's wise to ask some questions. You know, when my family first moved to California, I could not wait to surprise my kids with a surprise after school trip to the snow up on Mount Baldy. And so I, it was on a Friday afternoon. I threw a bunch of stuff in the car and I got the kids. It was about 70 degrees down here after school. And we drove up, uh, started up the mountain roads to Mount Baldy. And uh, I love just the, the views. And we passed by this sign that says, no gas up on Mount Baldy 
make sure that you have enough gas. And I looked at my fuel gauge and it was actually moving. I drive a minivan and you burn a lot of gas when you're driving up a mountain. And it was moving down towards the empty thing. And I was like, sorry kids, we had to turn around, go back down the mountain and get gas. Okay, now we're on our way. So we, uh, we got back up onto the mountain and, 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 and parked and the place was packed, even though it was a Friday afternoon, because there was snow up there. And I get the kids out of the van and they're like, oh, this is where you were taking us. Their eyes were big. It had been forever since they'd seen snow. Like, dad, this is awesome. And I grabbed the snow pants. I put them on uh, at the time, Levi was two, put them on my little girls. And then I start to notice something. I didn't really pack mittens. <laughs> One kid didn't have a jacket. Another kid didn't have a hat. And uh, they were like, cold but they saw the snow and like it's okay and we grabbed some uh, makeshift sleds and they took a couple of runs down and they're having fun but after about 10 minutes uh one kid's uh my, my son's hands were blue <laughs> the other kid's ears were about to fall off and another kid was like i gotta go to the bathroom <laughs> so that was our 10 second or 10 minute trip to mount baldy uh it was one of the world's quickest trips up to Mount Baldy. And I hadn't taken, as a dad, the critical steps before the steps, before our journey, making sure we had everything, making sure everyone visited the restroom before we took a, a 30 minute trip up the mountain and making sure they had the proper equipment. Jesus talked about this uh, saying, like count the cost is the language Jesus used. So we've gone back to the beginning in Genesis as we're talking about this ancient path, we see the seeds of this here at the very beginning of God's word to us. So what's the step before the first step? And as you, as you, I highly encourage you to read Genesis chapter one this week. I love in this poem, the language here in Genesis one, uh, there, in days one through three, there's this movement from wildness to order Days one through three, God's creating these different environments, the, the universe, the skies, the oceans. In days four through six, there's organisms and entities created, fish in the sea and squirrels in the tree and all kinds of plants and animals. And day six is what we read just earlier at the beginning of our time uh, together, that humans were created. So God created mankind in his own image. I love that. There's mysteries introduced here. Uh, it says there's so much commentary from the early church, the people who've walked the ancient path before us, the church fathers and mothers, there's more commentary on Genesis 1 than anything else in the Bible. There's these mysteries. God saying, let us make mankind in our own image who for christians we say who is us is that uh is that a, a, a foreshadowing of the trinity and in 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 the creation of the universe there's deliberation there's delight there's detail here uh, make us let us make mankind in our own image we're in made in god's image and when we're we're facing all the even the challenges of today and as, as a pastor of wondering what, what's the next steps to take, I find myself continually coming back to the beginning, coming back to these beautiful words uh, to find out the, the questions, like the big questions of life. What is the purpose of life 
here on earth? Why were humans created? And in there is the assumption, I have the assumption that there is a purpose to all of this. And as we read through, we have observations about the world that God created this well, that God created male and female on purpose. There's differences, but God created all of this on purpose. One of my favorite authors that I'd love, if you, he wrote in um, Dallas Willard, he wrote uh, The Divine Conspiracy. I love this quote from him. He says, God is the most joyous being in the universe. And out of God's overflowing joy, God's hilarious delight in having made something he loves, God made humans to be like him in the world. Through this, we learn that we're, we're made on purpose fearfully and wonderfully made. And everything around us has meaning. In fact, meaning is encoded and embedded into the fabric of God's creation. And to respect this reality, that's the first step on the journey towards following Jesus. It's just realizing, like, okay, God is God and we're not. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So we come to it again, this fact that God is God and we are not. And when we realize this, and sometimes it seems like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But let's stop and think about it. I know it's 101 level, but this is the first step. Because when we get clearer about this, uh, things in our world don't seem as, as, as fuzzy. There's also clarity that comes when we realize God's in control of all of this. We don't understand all of this. But I need to trust that God is God and I am not. That kind of reality seeps into our normal everyday life in all kinds of ways that, that we don't get if we just kind of keep turning the page and saying, yeah, 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 I know. God is God and we are not. All of this is God's idea, this whole universe that we live in. And we can't edit the way God has created this just to suit our fancy, just because it's convenient for us. Like God made all of this, God made the rules, and we are a part of God's story. I love the quote from Augustine of Hippo. He says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our souls are restless until they rest in you. Until we respect the fact that God is God and we're not, we run risks. Ignoring that fact, it risks uh, that we're actually ignoring God and we run the risk of falling into idolatry and, and, and making ourselves gods or, or making things in our lives idols that take the place of God. In his book, Playing God by Andy Crouch, he talks about making anything else in your life an idol, that that idolatry always leads to injustice. I never thought about that before. That idolatry, it's, it's, it's one thing to make something other than God a God in your life with the, the lowercase g, but when we do that, it leads to injustice. It's, it's all connected. Right now, in our world, there are more people slaves than at any other time in history, whether they're in brothels or sweatshops or being taken advantage of, uh, human trafficking. And when people do that to other humans, they're making themselves miniature gods at the expense of other people. They are 
making themselves get ahead in life, making life better for themselves at the expense of other people, and they're making themselves gods. We live in a time where we don't go to temples anymore. We don't worship the god of Mars and Aphrodite and all of the the Greek and Roman gods, but we still live in a world that, that tempts us to, uh, to worship at the altar of, of violence, of authority, of consumerism, of, of all sorts of other things, of, of fame and wealth. We tempted to make all of those things little gods in our life and ignore the ancient path that God has set out for us. In Revelation 6, it says, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountain and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? These folks who had, had made idols of other things, had, had lived a life of uh, withholding justice from other people and perpetuated injustice towards other people. And they knew at this moment that God will not endure injustice forever. They can't make something else a God because God is God and we are not. Someone said, you don't have to like that fact, but you have to deal with it. We see in scriptures, the story of Job, this wisdom literature that, that talks about the, the most blessed man on earth who loses everything. And even though it's really close to the book of Proverbs, it kind of turns the book of Proverbs on, his, on its head in a lot of ways, saying, you know, obedience brings, breast, obedience brings blessing. Always? Really? Look what happened to Job. And there's 40 chapters in his story where Job and his friends wonder about the losses. What if, what if it was this? What if it was that? Maybe this is happening uh, because you did this, or uh, maybe you should do this. Just curse God and die, Job, one of his friends tells them. And then Job, in, in his story, God shows up to confront him. And in this conversation, God says things like, um, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? That's one of my favorite. Or another line that I love is, have you ever given orders to the dawn? Have you ever given the dawn its orders? There's three chapters where God puts Job in his place. He lovingly corrects Job. And after Job comes face to face with the fact that God is God and he is not, Job goes on to say things like, surely I spoke of things I didn't know about. Like, I, I don't, you're God, I'm not, I repent. Job responds with wisdom. He, he, he responds with saying, okay, God, I'm going to follow your path, even though I don't understand it. And God blesses Job's response. So we're, we're asking these big questions and thinking about big thoughts. Why do we exist? You know, the church will tell us that we exist in the trainings of the, the historic church, that, that human beings exist to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. We exist because God wants us to exist. And we need to understand that meaning is embedded everywhere that we see, that there's meaning all around us. There's a couple implications in this, that uh, as, we, as we ponder where we're at on the ancient path, 
whether we've wandered from it, whether we're not as far along maybe as we thought we, we were um, from, from this, this text in Genesis and, and, and the people that have come before us, I want us to think about these things, that our response to the fact that God is God and we're not is worship. What a great weight. We don't have to control the world. We don't have to worry about all the things. We can do our part. We do our due diligence. We're good stewards with, with the resources and influence God's given us. Absolutely. But how amazing it is, is it that one of the reasons we exist is to worship God, to take delight in God. And scriptures give us all kinds of different, different uh, instructions on how to worship. Uh, we can sing. We can shout. We can raise our hands and all the charismatics say, woohoo, and we can get on our knees, we can stop and listen. But delighting in God and, and worshiping is, is also a lifestyle, not just something we do on Sunday mornings. Yeah, 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 I know, Mike. Seriously, like God's embedded meaning into everything, even like, uh, like Brother Lawrence in the Middle Ages, even doing the dishes, he turned that into a prayer. Like following God is, is living in a way that honors God with everything that we do, every word that comes out of our mouth. It can be an act of worship to God. So the question that I'm asking myself, I invite you to ask the, the same question too. In light of the fact that God is God and we are not, are we giving the worship to God that God deserves? And if not, what's what's holding us back? You know, I, I love this image of of fasting in Isaiah 58 and, and the idea of justice is woven in here and is saying like do uh, you think that's the kind of fasting God wants is just to emaciate yourself and sing pretty songs like when we're worshiping God I, Isaiah said no the kind of fasting God wants is to set prisoners free to forgive debts to extend mercy I want to ask myself and invite you to do the same. How have you, how have I stewarded our sphere of creation as our lifestyle, one where, where it's good news to prisoners? Is it a lifestyle of forgiving debts and extending mercy? Have we stewarded our sphere of the world? Have we stewarded it well? Or are we withholding ju justice from people? Are we living in a way that perpetuates and pushes other down? That's not justice. God's justice is one where everyone is lifted up. It's good news for everyone. Is, is the way that we go to work and handle our finances and handle our business, is that good news for everyone? Yeah, thinking about Genesis and, and the, the mandate given to Adam and Eve, I, I think about creation care. Um, and, and what a big deal it is for us who are following Jesus. Um, it, and it's a big deal throughout the scriptures. I came across Psalm 24 in Bible school, and I've never been able to shake it. It says, the whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Like That psalm wasn't invented by someone who lives in Vermont in Portland. I'm not trying to get political here at all. This isn't a, this isn't a political thing. This is a following Jesus thing. Uh, like I think about creation care. Like if, if I'm visiting someone's house, I don't go in and, and trash the place. Or if I borrow someone else's car, I try to clean it up and, and leave it in better condition 
than, uh, than, than I, I received it in. Like we have a role to play in this. Uh, this is a Christian thing and it's an image bearing thing. I love uh, some of the first memories I have of my grandpa in ministry is driving up to the church and he would pull the car over sometimes and it began to just annoy the stuffing out of me. He'd get out of his car, he'd pick up a piece of trash and, uh, and close the door and wait till we got to the church to throw it away. Like, and he's like, this is an image bearing thing. I learned that um, from a very early age. I want my kids to do the same thing uh, for, for the world that we live in. But remember, in Genesis, we're made in the image of God. Psalm 24, I just quoted, it says, the whole earth is God's and everything in it. I want you to think of creation care in, in an, another facet, another way too. It's great to pick up trash, it's great to care for the earth, great to, to, to leave it in better condition than, than we came to it in. What about the way that you care for yourself? Do you meditate on what's true of you? Do you listen to the own voices in your head and heart more than you listen to the voices of God? Like, this is one I wanna shout from the rooftops. You were lovingly made by God. Yeah, 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 Mike. No, don't do that to me again. You were lovingly made by God. Genesis tells us that. The, the scriptures scream that. You were lovingly made by God. It does not matter the circumstances you were born in. You were not an accident. Your gender is not an accident. What, how we treat our bodies matter to God. It's part of God's creation. Your emotions and your mind matter to God. This is part of creation care. Don't insult God by continually insulting yourself. Don't insult God by continually insulting yourself. This is a big deal to, for a lot of us. I love personality tests and different wirings. And depending on it's Myers-Briggs or DISC test, I'm a kind of a nerd with those types of things. But I love how almost every personality type and every wiring, there's always a description that says, this one can be really hard on themselves. <laughs> like that's, It's a human thing, whether you're introvert, extrovert, and, and it's a real dynamic that we have to deal with. But when we think of ourselves as everything, we're a part of this creation where meaning and worth is embedded into everything, you're a part of that. That to me is where there's really good news embedded in this message for you, that you have meaning and worth and value. And part of caring for creation is caring for yourself and surrounding yourself and bathing yourself in the truth that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And when God corrects you, you don't get down on yourself and say, and start rehearsing, I stink, I can't believe I did this, I'm always this way. No, it's God loves me enough to put me back on the path. And God's not just ready to just zap us again with another lightning bolt every time we mess up. Our response to this is, is a posture of humility. And, uh, but you can be humble without beating yourself up. You know, a lot of us don't wanna be haughty, and that bars us from entering the, the ancient path. I've got this, I, I don't need God, that's idolatry. But we can also be too humble. And it's like a, uh, C.S. Lewis called it false humility, 
where we, we go to the other extreme. It's like, I, oh, I can't do anything. No, when you turn over control of your life to Jesus, you are adopted into God's family. And when God looks at what you do, he sees what Jesus did. And you are called a son of God, a daughter of God. It's completely obvious that we failed as human beings. But when we, when we think about that, with true humility, we have to give more weight to God's posture towards us. Like it says in Ephesians 2, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were living by nature, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. So as we're thinking these big thoughts of, about God and the universe, don't think that God is waiting to shame you for your failures and your shortcomings. God's posture is one of complete mercy, and it's up to us to, to turn towards him. It's God's kindness that leads to repentance. I love when God was described by Jesus in the prodigal son story. Even when the prodigal son was a long way from home and rehearsing his I'm sorry speech, the father saw him and ran to the son, affirmed his son, showed him mercy. That's God's heart towards you and me and towards, towards people. So our first step on the journey towards the ancient path is to recognize that God is God and we are not. And our second is to hear Jesus' invitation to come and follow him. And guys, notice the tone and the promise. When Jesus says, come follow me, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So as we count the cost today, where are we at on the journey? Where are we going? Maybe we need to restart our journey. I wanna pray that God will orient us correctly towards the, the ancient path of following Jesus. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, would you please like, put some spiritual glasses on us? And as we look out into the world and it seems so fuzzy and, and, and just hard to figure out what's going on, will you help us see the world through your eyes? Help us see the joy and meaning embedded into our relationships and, and the, the wonder that you've created us with. Uh, would you please recalibrate our minds and our hearts towards ourselves and creation? And may we be a bright, shining light pointing other people towards following your path. And as we do, may your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path so we can follow you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So thank you for, for hanging out together. It's been so fun. I love going back and reading the comments. Um, we're praying for you. Please don't hesitate until we're together again to reach out to us at sgbic.com. But until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you and light your path. May you sense God turning his face towards you and smiling at you. And may God give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.